0: (laughs) Uh, We're super excited about it. Uh, If you've been here the last two weeks, we've been talking about a couple of different things. We talked about how last week, you know, it's his season to be broke. And we kind of juxtaposed that with like, how are we broken emotionally and spiritually and physically versus how we're called to be broken spiritually for Jesus. This week, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. And a couple of people like, hey, Pastor Eric, the last two weeks, they've been like really deep. Can we can we lighten it up a little bit? And I said, no. No, uh, this week is gonna be "Tis the season to be loving." That's pretty okay. The shoulders can loosen up a little bit, and and I'll get you in a minute. And but who here for Christmas has already like you're say I'm done shopping? I got some pretty good people. I'm not. I my hand can go right down. Um, I'm not actually done shopping. Um, but it's funny because gift giving is a big part of the Christmas season. And one thing, I don't know if any of you have ever read, there's a very famous book called The Five Love Languages. And it talks about the different ways that we as humans express love. And one of those ways is actually the giving and receiving of gifts. So as we're as we're shopping and as we're buying, buying these gifts for all these people in our family and our friends, you know, I think it's really neat to tie into the season. It's all about Jesus coming because Jesus loved us so much. We we give gifts to each other as a way of expressing that love to one another. Now, our scripture today is going to be found in Matthew 5, 43 through 48. And before we get there, here's the thing. So, tis the season to be loving. Well, the challenge there is it's very easy to love people that love us back, right? Like that's that's simple, you know? Hey, that person loves me, I love them. It's a it's a great system. You know, my friends, my my family, we, we all love each other. But Jesus challenges us that we're also not just to love each other, but to love our enemies. To love those and pray for those who persecute us. But Jesus calls us to love our enemies. So that's our challenge, our little bit of a flip of the script this week. is not is just, hey, it is the season to be loving, and we should be loving to our families. But also we should consider this Advent season as we, we live in expectation of celebrating Jesus' birth. We say, oh, Jesus, how do I also obey your command to love those that are harder to love, that are, that are more challenging to love, or even how do I love those people who hate me? So our verse today comes from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was preaching. It's in Matthew 5. We're going to look at a little piece of it here, starting in verse 43. It says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, What reward will you gain? And are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus is saying something very shocking here. It doesn't sound as shocking to us because it's something I think in the church we've heard a lot, or even if you're not, if you have maybe you haven't been a part of, of a church for a long time. But in our culture, the idea of loving your enemies is something that, that's in there. But 2,000 years ago in, in the Middle East, this was a very very shocking idea because the first thing Jesus says is, he says, by the way, here's what you've heard: you've heard, love your friends, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. That was the common thing to hear. Was there, there was in, in there? In the Middle East 2,000 years ago, there was a big vengeance tradition that if someone had done something to you, that you were to get back to them. And in, in ancient Israel at this time, that had kind of been formalized into a monetary thing. Uh, if someone had done something against you, well, then you could, you could get some money from them. But this idea of love your neighbor, hate your enemy was very pervasive in the culture. When they they said that, Jesus said this to all these Jewish people in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, they would love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Yeah. Okay, I get that. But then Jesus says something shocking to them. He says, but but I tell you, love your enemies. And don't don't just love them like, oh, I can say, oh, I love my enemies. But you have to do more than that. You have to take steps of action and pray For those who persecute you and then he starts giving examples that would have been just as shocking and he's he's like hey by the way you know you love the people who who love you well even tax collectors do that who here loves a good tax collector hallelujah uh, well tax collectors we don't like the irs most of us uh, but tax collectors in ancient israel were even more hated because israel was occupied by the roman gov- government and they hated rome and so the tax collectors were jewish citizens who had basically betrayed their people and were taking money for the man and so people hated the tax collectors because they were collaborating with rome and so jesus gives a shocking example of saying hey that's something that even tax collectors can do. Oh, and by the way, you, you know, you greet your own people. Well, pagans do that. And to a, an ancient Israeli Jew, pagans weren't something to be looked at in a positive manner. Ta- tax collectors and pagans. So Jesus, in three hits, is intentionally rattling them and saying, hey, you've heard it say, love but hate. But I say, love and pray for and by the way, you know, if you're doing what you think, you think you're being so righteous just by following this old system, well, you're just as righteous as a tax collector and a pagan. And so Jesus shockingly tells them to love their enemies. And I think this Advent, that's something for us to consider too. As we gather together to celebrate the birth of Jesus as a church, to celebrate the birth of love and, and grace and all and salvation, that we honestly look at ourselves and say, how good am I? at loving those who do not love me. Because Jesus tells us to. So what does it look like? And so we're actually going to go backwards a little bit through a portion of the Sermon on the Mount here. We'll start right where we're at, and then we're going to go back a couple of passages. But to start with, how do, what does it look like to love our enemies? The first thing that it looks like is exactly what Jesus says here. It looks like praying for them. It looks like actively praying for our enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus gives us something that's hard that we can't really fake doing. So you can kind of fake that you love that like you that you love someone. You can you know that person at work who like drives you bonkers and you just want to Arr. you can smile because it's work and you go oh, yeah uh-huh uh huh yeah you're good for you, moron. <laughs> Praying for your enemies is harder to fake. You can. But something about praying for someone starts to mold our hearts. Praying for someone starts to soften us and to to help us. And praying for them, you know, it it can change them and make them start moving in the right direction. no better season to pray for our enemies than Christmas. Enemies. Let's talk about that word. Because I don't think most people would be like, I got an enemy. We got people we can't stand. We've got people who cause us problems. Most of them a lot of times, we don't we don't think in that terms. We don't think like I have a mortal enemy, like a supervillain. I've got a supervillain slide. Yeah, most of us don't have a Thanos. Uh, if you don't get the reference, it's from a Marvel movie and a Marvel comic, and that's okay. But you should watch the movies; they're pretty fun. Uh, and so most of us don't have that in our lives. No one's gonna. Um, and if you don't get that, that's okay too. Um, we don't have that, but here's this word in Greek. This word in Greek for enemies is ekthron, which I'm, gonna pronou- I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Don't judge me. But it's three kind of major ideas in the way this was translated. There's more meanings to this word than this, but these are the ones that are kind of relevant. It's men as an enmity with God for their sin. So it's kind of, this word is often used about us in our relationship with God. It's a man that is hostile. So someone's it's like hostile. Uh, again, I think this fits real well, most of it for work, school, family, There's hostile people. Uh, but I love this one. Hated, odious. That is my favorite word, odious people and hateful people. is isn't talking so much about you having a personal supervillain in your life and it is people who are hostile towards you, people that, that, that are hated by you, Maybe, maybe there's something in you, a seed of prejudice in you, and you don't like a particular group of people? People who are odious? And again, that just makes me think about work. Not here. Thank goodness. Uh, but like, that's, that, that's a fun word for that, and hateful people. And so these type of people in our lives, Jesus challenges us, pray for them. Pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. Pray for them. I think this, this is a kind of a fun thing because I was reading a, an article recently that was talking about how ridiculous it is that people argue that, Christ, that Christmas is a pagan holiday. It's a really great article. I, should, I might post it somewhere for you guys to read. But um, And he's just going on and on all this stuff. And he says, and by the way, even if there is something that could somehow be referenced to paganism, Christianity is all about baptizing things. We take things and we put them under the water. We pull them back out. We make them Christian. just like we make people Christians and we baptize them and we say, dead to sin, life in Christ, we we, throughout 2,000 years of history, we've been like, hmm, let's make that Christian. We like that, let's make that Christian. And I think we pray for our enemies in some ways, in a a spiritual sense, it made me think about this, it's almost like we're saying, you know what, this person, they might be opposed to me, they might be opposed to Jesus, but in my prayers, I'm going to baptize them. I'm going to pray that they would go in and come out followers of Jesus and people who love Jesus and redeemed. So I would challenge us that what does it look like to love our enemies? We want to, the word baptized means to immerse, by the way. You may have heard that from me before. So let's immerse our enemies in prayer, that they would come up redeemed and our, and our friends and people who, who are on the mission of Jesus with us. Loving our enemies looks like praying for them. Now we're going to go a little further back. This is the passage before Jesus t- talks about all this. He says this, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. So if we want to love our enemies. We don't resist them. We serve them instead. And this feels a little more countercultural. Like when I talk about loving our enemies, a lot of us can, can at least on a root level, say, "Yeah, that's a good idea." This is a little more challenging. Where it says in the Bible, by the way, when that evil person is doing something, you don't resist them. This is the same passage where he talks about turning the other cheek. Someone on one cheek, you turn the other one, so they can do the same thing to you again. That's easy to say, I think for most of us, that's very, very hard to put into practice. And he says, hey, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And so again, we're going back to ancient Israel 2,000 years ago, occupied by the Roman government. So a Roman centurion is marching around, the occupying force is marching around ancient Israel. And if he pointed to you, he said, Harvey, you have to carry my pack. That Roman centurion could force the good Jewish citizen Harvey to carry his pack one Roman mile. And the Jewish people at the time, this is one of those little quirks of being occupied that they hated. There's all sorts of stuff about how much people hated this rule. And Jesus says, by the way, if that centurion who you hate who represents an occupying government who's repressing you, The everything that personifies evil to you, if he says, carry my pack one mile, carry it two. Your enemy forces you to do this. You say, I'm not forced to do anything. In fact, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to go above and beyond what I have to do. Jesus advocates going the extra mile to people who we consider our enemies. We are called when given and served evil to respond with good. And that's all about the kind of Messiah Jesus is, right? Because what they were expecting from a Messiah 2,000 years ago was that Jesus would come and that he would be the king in the Davidic line who would throw out Rome and restore Israel to being governed by Israel. And Rome would be gone and the Messiah would be king. And instead, Jesus turns it around because he's turning around the type of Messiah they should expect. And he's saying, this is different than what you think it is. Serve those who oppress you. Because ultimately, Jesus would go to the cross. He would be oppressed to the point of death so that he could serve all of us by paying for our sins to give us eternal life. And of course we think we're being oppressed in weird things. Sometimes we think we're oppressed, especially on Christmas when a disposable coffee cup is the wrong color, or the art isn't right, or whatever non-controversy there is around Christmas for this particular year. But it's funny to think, you think back over these years, How do Christians respond in America when we think we're being oppressed? We think we're being persecuted. Do we respond by turning the other cheek? Do we respond by carrying an extra mile? Or do we say that I'm going to love my neighbor and I'm going to hate my enemy? Jesus calls us to serve people who oppose us, to love them. Honestly, if we go into Christmas year, we we should really consider, how do I do that on a day-to-day basis? How else do we be loving to our enemies? I think, and we're we're going back, we're going back another section in the passage to what Jesus was preaching on. I think it's let our yes be yes and our no be no. And so Jesus said, all you need to say, he's talking about oaths here, when you're swearing an oath, he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no anything beyond this comes from the evil one because in this time if you were swearing an oath usually you, you would say I'm gonna I'm gonna swear an oath to you in the Lord's name and you saying don't do that instead just have integrity if you're if you're in a dealing you don't need to swear by the Lord's name you just say yes say no and what you say do that right so what does this have to do with loving your enemies and if you think it's a stretch, it's okay. But I think that this is a great way to deal with people who are odious, to deal with people who are hateful, to deal with people who, who oppose us. Ever promise something to that person who drives you crazy, who, who, who opposes you, especially in a work situation, just to get them off your back? This person you don't really like and they're they're just bothering you and they're driving you crazy and you're like okay fine i'll, I'll do that sure and you're just saying it to make them happy and then you go ahead and do whatever you want i think in keeping in the context of this whole passage of scripture a great way to love our enemies is when we interact with them have integrity to be people of integrity that even even if that person drives us crazy or they hate us or whatever it is We with them let our yes be yes and our no be no. In fact, we have a core value about this as a church. One of our core values is honesty. As a church, we believe in radical truth-telling with grace. We let our yes be yes and our no be no, and we we stick to it. Someone needs to hear the truth, we speak it. We speak it with grace. Lots of people like that first part. Like, hey, you mean to say as a part of Element Church, I'm called to speak the truth to people? And that becomes an excuse to like spew off whatever you want to at people? That's not what we're talking about because that with grace part means when I'm telling people the truth, I'm really trying to do whatever I can to say it like Jesus would. And to have that same heart that Jesus does. It's always about redemption and restoration and compassion and grace. and Yeah. Many of us, instead of doing that, we speak the truth, not with love, but with jerk. We're kind of mean about it. And we got to have an integrity. When someone says, yes, we mean it, we say, no, we mean it. And also, it's very freeing when you realize that when there is someone who you consider, you're, you know, this person's my, my enemy and whatever that looks like. Even it's a small little tiny thing and they just bother you or it's a big thing and they hate you. It's very freeing to be able to say no and to set correct boundaries in place with those people where you love them, but you do not allow them a place to be toxic in your life. Boundaries are okay. How else do we love our enemies? Last today, we love our enemies by understanding that Jesus is looking at our heart. So this this little section of scripture is in the middle of three passages that are all about things like, like murder and adultery and divorce. And Jesus, again, is taking things that are in the law and he's kind of turning them on their heads. But I think that this kind of summarizes a lot of his thinking here. And it says, you've heard it said, you've heard it that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And the Sermon on the Mount, this, this sermon that, that Jesus preaches that you see in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew is just layers on layers of truth. And we could keep going back and further back and tying all these things together, but we all want to go to lunch at some point. But I love that these three passages here, Jesus is kind of engaging with the heart of the Old Testament law. And he's saying, you know what? Here's what you've heard you've heard. You've heard this said but I want you to know that God wants something more for you than what was in that law. He wants something more for you than just obeying because it says you obey. God wants you to obey because your heart is right and because you love him and because you love each other. And we see here that, hey, God is looking at your heart because Jesus says, hey, you know what says, don't murder. I think most of us were like, yeah, I got that one. (laughs) Haven't done that. He's saying, but you know what? If you're angry, that same judgment, he's the same judgment that the murderer is. saying, if you're angry with your brother and sister, you're subject to judgment. Because Jesus is, is changing the focus of this ancient religion off of law, and he's refocusing it on what does our heart look like. And that culminates at the end here where he says, oh, by the way, love your enemies. And you can love your enemies if you pray for them and if you get your heart right so that you're not murdering them with your heart. It's a funny thing, though, it's funny, right? Because even in all of this, Jesus is redefining the Old Testament law into the New Testament, you read through all this stuff, you're gonna think what I think, which is, I can't do this. You can't do any of it. Don't be angry at anyone ever. Can you do that? No. And, you know, all this this other stuff. He's like, hey, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Can you do that all the time? No. Even if it's just an accident, you say, yes, I'm doing this, and then you make a mistake and you don't. Sometimes we mess up. And Jesus calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Can we successfully do that in every single situation? We can't. That's why Jesus came. Because we can't. That's why Christmas is such an amazing season of expectation, cuz every year we get to be reminded that This is what we're called to do. This is who we're called to be. And we're going to strive for that, empowered by God's spirit for his mission. We're going to strive to be people who live up to the standards of Jesus. But we know that when we make a mistake, that because Jesus was born, God in flesh, and he came and he died on the cross for us, and he proved he was God when he rose from the dead, because of all of that, we have grace sufficient for when we can't get it right ourselves. Not an excuse not to strive for it, but to know that even when we can't do all this perfectly, that Jesus still loves us. Tis the season to be loving, and Jesus gives us that example by being willing to come for us. The Bible describes us as God's enemies before Jesus. That same word, that love your enemies, is later used in Scripture to describe us in reference to God. But because of Jesus, we no longer have to be. Because of his grace, we can be God's friends, his loved sons and daughters. And we can have grace to help us to be the loving people he's called us to be and the grace that we need when we mess it all up to know that God still loves us and we're still his sons and daughters.